Well, good morning, church family, friends, guests watching online. We're so glad that you guys are here. It's a beautiful day. We're together. It's all good. Amen? Hey, uh, I have a daughter in kindergarten. Her name is uh, Faith. And uh, this whole last week, she's been coming home every day, enthusiastically updating us on something taking place in her classroom. Apparently, her teacher, over the last week or so, uh, got some caterpillars, and now they're teaching them the process of metamorphosis, and so every day, it's like, oh, Dad, the, the caterpillars are now a chrysalis, and they're all chrysalis, and Dad, one of, them, one of them got out of the chrysalis and hatched, now they're a butterfly, and now there's three butterflies. It's just been like headline news for a kindergartner, you know, um, all that's going on with these butterflies, and, I, and I'm excited about that because she's learning something that God put in place. God, God in his just uh, amazing sovereignty and wonder had this process of metamorphosis for one critter to basically become another. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and I got, it got me thinking about how God is a God who transforms. God is a God who transforms. He is a God who brings spiritual metamorphosis in our life. And as I started thinking about metamorphosis and new life and transformation, I thought, you know what would be tragic? It would be tragic to be stuck as a creature that is crawling on the ground and on twigs and on trees, when you have the capacity and the potential to be something completely different, when God actually has intended for you to sprout wings and learn how to fly, that would be tragic, to be stuck as one creature when God clearly can have you be another. And then it got me thinking, you know what else would be tragic? Is to actually begin the process of transformation and then get stuck. You know, can you imagine how, bummer, how much of a bummer it would be to get stuck in a cocoon? You know, your wings are growing, maybe they're even developed, and you're just stuck in this cocoon, and you never actually learn how to fly. Man, that would be just as tragic, that you're in this process of transformation, you've taken the first steps, but then you get stuck, and you don't go anywhere. And here at Cuyahoga Valley Church, we're, we're all about inviting people to new life in Christ. We understand that God is a God who transforms, and He takes sinners, and, 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 and He lets us uh, come to a point of conviction and understanding about our sinfulness and our distance from God, and, and the only way that we can uh, approach God is, is in a relationship through the belief and trust in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, His resurrection from the grave. And once we do that, we begin this spiritual metamorphosis. And I thought, man, how tragic would it be for us to get stuck in a place of living a life just about fulfilling fleshly desires, crawling around on the ground, playing around with twigs, when God actually wants us to be in this amazing relationship with sprout wings and fly. Man, I, I never want to, to not ever embrace what God has for me if that's what he, God has for me. And then I thought, how tragic would it be for us to get stuck spiritually? Where we take those first steps of understanding, we start to understand who Jesus is, we start to understand the significance of the cross and the, the resurrection, and we start to, to maybe even, even, even place faith in Christ maybe, and then as we're in that cocoon, in that chrysalis moment of developing, we just get stuck. No, God has so much more for us. And so as we continue in this serious voyage to the Bible book of Acts, I want to celebrate new life. I want to celebrate what God calls us to as a voyage of transformation and to be part of other people's voyage of transformation. And so we're going to do that today by looking at one of the most significant and dramatic transformations in the entire Bible. And it's the transformation of a man named Saul. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 9. This Saul guy, talk about a guy who was made new. Talk about a person who went through a metamorphosis and fully embraced and experienced the joy of spiritual flight as he served Jesus with all his heart. 
And so we're going to get a little bit of a snapshot, look at his life a little closer today, his spiritual voyage, and we're going to look at this man who was boldly transformed by God. And I believe we're all going to be encouraged today. I believe we're all going to be encouraged by the transforming work that Jesus has done in us, is doing in us, and will do in us as we look at the life of Saul today. So let's pray, and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for the reminder today that you are a God who transforms, that metamorphosis is not just for the caterpillar. God, that you bring transformation into our life. And God, wherever we are at personally on this spiritual journey, Lord, wherever we are at in our own voyage in life, God, I pray you meet us right here, right now in the place of our greatest needs. And Lord, for those who do not know you as Savior, God, that this would be their Damascus road and that they would encounter you and come to faith in you. And Lord, for those who maybe they know you, but they're in their infancy of their walk with you, Lord, that you would use today as part of that uh, chrysalis moment, Lord, that you continue to develop them. And God, build those wings, and Lord, let them uh, extend those wings and fly. And God, for those of us who, who know you and love you, we've been walking with you for years, Lord God, would you fuse a greater gratitude for our new life in Christ? Lord, may our love for you never fade. May our appreciation for new life never fade. God, whatever our needs are today, Lord, we lay them before you, and we look to you to teach us, to lead us, guide us, and change us and transform us. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Hey, I simply want to talk about three factors of a voyage of transformation today. And the first factor is this. you got the factor of the old life. The old life, the old self. Well, who was the Saul guy? And who was the old Saul? The first time we ever hear Saul mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we see him show up uh, at the presence, his presence at the death of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen. And in Acts 7, 58, it says, they cast him, meaning Stephen, out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so uh, we see Saul's present at this event, and then for whatever reason, after this event, Saul makes it his personal mission to try to eradicate Christians, to personally persecute the followers of Christ. And so we see after Acts 7, and as we move into Acts 8, verses 1 through 3, we see more of Saul's old self. It says that, and Saul approved of his execution, meaning Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So whether encouraged by others or self-imposed, Saul became the primary leader of persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem. And he did it with a vengeance. Now a little bit more about Saul, some of his bio. Saul was a, a Jewish man. He was born with Jewish heritage. He was born in a Roman, uh, in, as a Roman citizen in the city of Tarsus in Cilicia, and he was raised around Greek culture. So really, he had all three of the best of those Middle Eastern cultures. He was kind of this Greco-Roman Jewish guy. He was this hybrid that had, that had all the benefits of all these cultures. He was also known as Paul. Now, there's a little myth going around that God changed Saul's name to Paul. Uh, really, the only reference we have is Acts 13, 9, when it says Saul, also called Paul, and really, we see that it was not uncommon for people to have dual names uh, based on their different heritage and citizenship at the time. And so Saul is his Hebrew name tied to his Jewish roots. Paul is his Roman name tied to his Roman citizenship and Roman uh, upbringing. And he was a devout Jewish Pharisee. 
And so Saul, therefore, had an intense zeal as a Jewish man that led him to take a very adversarial posture toward the early church and the followers of Christ. And so he was threatened and he was disgusted by the followers of what he thought was a false and blasphemous Messiah. And so that's where we kind of, uh, you know, tee up Saul. Now let's dive into Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 and 2, we're getting a little bit more of a glimpse of this old man, Saul, the old self. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder, meaning if he's still doing it, he's been doing it for a while, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was a bad dude. And he ravaged the church in the early first century. And he went house to house, ripping uh, men and women out of their homes, imprisoning them, uh, punishing them, uh, trying to get the death penalty. He literally was breathing out threats and murder against those who loved and followed Jesus. And he wasn't just satisfied with doing it in Jerusalem. He wasn't just wanting to purge Jerusalem of Christians. He wanted to make Christians extinct. Like, wrap your mind around that, okay? And so he went to no um, you know, limit to, to, to go. Think of him as this way. He was basically a spiritual terrorist, if you can wrap your mind around that concept. And so uh, Roman practice at the time allowed the Jewish officials to control Jewish affairs outside of Jerusalem. And so Saul received written permission from the high priest to go to the city of Damascus. And Damascus was about 160 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's about an eight or nine day journey typically. I mean, how much hate do you have to have? How much determination to your cause do you have to have to go, I'm going to travel eight or nine days to go find a bunch of these Christians and arrest them, you know, punish them, bring them back. Like, this is the level of animosity that Saul had towards the followers of Christ. And this is a little bit of the glimpse of the picture of the old Saul. Religious, but lost. Hateful, but using religious thinking to justify his hatefulness. Nothing's changed, has it? <laughs> and so for those of you who are followers of Christ, I just want you to think about this old Saul. And I want to ask you this. Do you remember your old self before Christ? Do you remember the way you thought? Do you remember what you believed? Do you remember what you were doing? Do you remember what you were thinking about and, and, and all the things that you did that were in opposition to God? Maybe even using religious thinking to justify sinful behavior. You know, we, we gotta, we gotta um, keep that picture very small in our life of the old self, but we can't lose it because it brings contrast and appreciation for how good God is. He's rescued us and redeemed us and restored us from that old self. Do you remember the attitudes and actions that you had? Do you remember what it was like to inch around on the ground as a spiritual caterpillar, liking the dirt and the twigs and the limbs before God taught you the joy of flight? And if you're here today or you're watching online and maybe you don't know Christ, and I say this with love, I say this with compassion, but I want to love you through some truth, you're still the old self. You haven't experienced it yet. You're still in that state of being a spiritual caterpillar. And God has so much more for you. And you're, you're, you're excited about the dirt. You're excited about the ground. You're excited about the twigs and the trees you get to climb on. And God's going, oh, but if you only knew how much more I had for you. And so I really do pray, and for the followers of Christ in this room, um, they really do pray that today would be the day that maybe you encounter 
the risen Lord. So the first factor we look at in this transformation voyage is this understanding of the old self, but then Saul encounters the next factor, the next factor that he experienced and we all need to experience, and that is conversion, conversion. And, and I just don't want to take away from the passage. I want to look at the passage together. I want, to, I want to read this account of Saul's conversion, Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 19. So follow along with me. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but not seeing anyone. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And how he has authority here from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Have you ever been interrupted? <laughs> Have you ever had to take in a detour that you weren't planning on? This was a major interruption in Saul's life and plan. This was a divine detour that God was providing so that he can get out of one place and into another. Saul had no idea that this was coming. And so he was on his way to Damascus to inflict harm on the followers of Christ and ends up meeting Christ himself. Now, it's interesting. As that light hit him, he hit the ground. Is there no other appropriate response when the focused glory of God shines upon you? That he hit the ground and he had this exchange and he did not know at first who he was dealing with. But it quickly became apparent that he was having an encounter with Jesus himself. So the big question among theologians today is, when did Saul actually get converted? When did saving faith actually uh, take place uh, in the life of Saul? When did that cocoon break and him actually become a believer? And some would say, right here in this moment on the road to Damascus, he uses the word Lord, you know, he obeys what's commanded. Some say this was the moment. Some say, no, it was actually when Ananias came, put his hands on him, and, and all of these things, you know, and some say somewhere in between. We don't really know for sure. We do know this. It definitely happened by the time Ananias got his hands on him and, and he received the Holy Spirit, and then he got up and got baptized. We know that salvation at some point happened prior to that moment. Uh, it's not so much as when, but the fact that it did. And we can learn a lot from this moment of conversion. We do get some extra detail and clarity. Uh, Paul recounts the story of his conversion a couple times in the book of Acts. 
Acts 22, Acts 26. Uh, we'll see a little bit of more clarity in Acts 22, verses 12 through 16. He's telling the story of his conversion to uh, the folks in Jerusalem. And he says, And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, what a beautiful moment of seeing this conversion of Saul. And as I look at this moment from the blinding moment where he encountered Christ to the, the regaining of his sight and his baptism and the Holy Spirit coming upon him, that, that, those three days he was blind, he was praying, he was fasting. You know what this was? This was his spiritual cocoon. This was his chrysalis moment. I mean, it would be so cool just to get in a time machine and hang out with Saul for those three days and go like, what was he thinking? What was he processing? What was going through his mind? What was going through his heart? But we do know this. The very last thing that Saul saw with his physical eyes was Jesus. And for the next three days of blindness, guess what was just etched into his mind? What was just burned into his mind is whatever he saw on that road to Damascus. And so we know that God was, was transforming him and he was fasting and he was going without food and he was praying, he was processing. I mean, was he, was he thinking about his past? Was he thinking about all the bad things that he's done? Was he thinking about Jesus saying, you're persecuting me? And he's going, I've actually never done anything to you, but I've done it to the church. So then if I'm doing it to the church, I'm doing it to you. Did he go all the way back to Stephen? Was he thinking like, oh man, I heard Stephen's message and Stephen wasn't kidding and Stephen was correct. And I was there when they killed Stephen and I was approving. And like, who knows all that was going on? He was well-versed in scriptures. Was he connecting the dots? Was he starting to go, wait a second, I get it now, like, like this passage, and, and this is Jesus, and if he really is the Messiah, then this and this, and oh my gosh, I've been so off target for all my life, and I can't believe who I, I am and who I was and what I did. Like, we have no idea what he was doing, but it was that cocoon. It was that chrysalis moment where he was being transformed. Man, when, he, when that eyesight came, when his scales fell, I mean, the last thing he saw was Jesus. The next thing he saw was Ananias. There was probably a contrast there, you know, Ananias, Jesus, you know. Do you think he was ready to get down and get busy for Jesus? New sight, baptism, all those things. What a, what a beautiful moment. And you know what I love about this? As it says here that Ananias was involved. Like Ananias, like who is this guy? He's one of those unsung heroes of the scriptures. Like think about it. He, we, we think we have to be some spiritual giant to be used by God. We've got to be like Peter. You gotta, you know, yeah, we try to be like those guys, but here's Ananias. He's just Joe Christian, man. He's not an apostle. He's a Christian in Damascus. He's hanging out. God comes to him. We believe he comes to him because he's just faithful and obedient. You know, God's definition or, or what God's looking for in us really is, is faithfulness and obedience. He says, Ananias, I got something I want you to do. I want you to hang out with this guy, Saul. Ananias is like, I've heard of Saul. I don't think I want to hang out with him. <laughs> and God's saying, go. Yes, sir. And he goes and he obeys and he's faithful to what God calls. And, and here's Ananias. And it's such a testimony that, that we look at the Apostle Paul and sometimes we just see him walking down the road by himself and doing all these things by himself. And if, if you've read the Pauline epistles in Scripture, he's always with people pretty much. He's always in community and it starts right here. God brings community. He brings Ananias to come. 
be part of his journey, part of his voyage. And he walks with him, and then, and then, then he hangs out, says he hangs out with the disciples in Damascus. Like, like, wrap your minds around this. Paul was a spiritual infant in Christ. Like, the Apostle Paul was a little baby in Christ at one point. Like, we all were when we came to faith. And God brought Ananias, and he brought the Damascus disciples around him to be in community. That's why we've got to be in community. That's why if you're trying to do, uh, if you're trying to be a follower of Christ by yourself, good luck with that. That's why you need to be in a life group. That's why you need to be in Christian community. That's why you need to be sharing your journey and your voyage with other people, because that's how God brought him to a place where he voyaged with others. And so we look at Ananias, well, there's something to learn with Ananias, because God's saving work brings us to community, so as we grow, we grow with others. Now, we look at this old self, this old Saul. Saul was a bold sinner. He boldly sinned against God. God goes, you want to see bold? Watch this. I'm going to boldly save you. <laughs> and Saul was confronted with the gospel, confronted with Christ, just like we all are. And he had to make a decision, and he wisely chose to follow Christ. For those of you who know Jesus, do you remember your cocoon? Do you remember those early days trying to figure out the Bible and trying to figure out who Jesus is and surrender? Do you remember like being spiritually blind and having your spiritual scales come off and you start to see more clearly the God of the Bible and who Jesus is and the new life that he has for you? And you started to feel your wings start to grow. The cocoon started getting a little bit cramped. You want to get out. You know, you know that God has something more for you. And you're just incubating in this moment until God's like ready to launch you. Who was the Ananias that God brought into your life to disciple you and grow you, walk you through those early stages, teach you how to spiritually walk a little bit in Jesus? You know, if you haven't talked to that Ananias in a while, you, you need to reach out and just say thank you. Who's God calling you to be Ananias for? See, God's, God has saved us so that we can serve him. Part of serving him is we help other caterpillars learn how to be butterflies. And so who are you pulling into? Who are you discipling? Who are you growing? Who are you being a Damascus disciple like they were to Saul? Who are you doing that for? Because God's boldly saved us so that we can boldly serve him. And so for those of you who don't know Christ, again, I lovingly share with you that there's still this moment now where you're, you're still spiritually blind. You don't know yet, but you're obviously you're hungry, you're searching. You know God has something for you more because you're watching or you're here. And so we encourage you, let this be your Damascus Road experience where you encounter Jesus. And he reveals who he is and removes the blindness so that you can see him more clearly. And so we see this old self in this voyage of transformation. We see this conversion moment in the voyage of transformation. And then, of course, if there's an old self, there's got to be a new self. We've got to look at the new self. Look what happened to Paul after he came to know Christ. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And immediately, everyone say immediately. Uh-huh. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. 
They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Paul hit the ground running. Once that eyesight was there and the strength was there, nothing was holding him back. He started learning and growing. He immediately applied everything God was showing him. He started proclaiming Jesus. He started to boldly serve Jesus. He was exercising his new wings. And Paul's voyage of transformation led him to immediately work out his new calling. There was no warm-up period. There was no stretching. It was just, he was just in and gone. And here's the reality of it. When you understand who Jesus is, and you get a glimpse of who he is. And you understand that that death on the cross for the sins of mankind was for you and for your sin and your brokenness. And when you realize that as an undeserving being, God is pouring out his love and grace on you and inviting you into a relationship. And when you say, I don't deserve it, I can't believe, I can't earn it, I'm just going to receive it. When all that comes into play, you just immediately take the next steps. There's no warm-up period. There's no, like, I'll get around to that. Like, you just go full throttle, pedal to the metal, go for it. You know, it's so interesting. Every weekend, we present an opportunity for people to come to Christ. And there are many weekends, we have people respond. Like, sometimes, let's just say we have 10 people respond in a weekend. We'll say, man, we're so glad to hear that you want to follow Christ. Here's your next step. We'd love to get in touch with you. Sometimes, like, one out of 10 will respond to that. Well, what were the other nine really thinking? Was it like an oops, you know? And, and I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just going like, look, if you totally get it, you're just ready to go to the next step. You want, me to take, you want me to meet with you and talk about Jesus? Done. You want me to take that class? Done. You want me to read this book? Done. You want me to do that study with you? Done. The life group? Sounds good. Sign me up. Like, you're just ready for what's next because you get it. You're like, man, the cocoon is stuffy. I want to stretch out my wings. I want to fly. What's my next step? Because when Jesus changes your life, when he, when he transforms you, you want what he wants for you. And you're not going to let anything hold you back from getting it. You go after it. You'll exercise your new wings. You know, the resurrection of Jesus is the most significant evidence for the Christian faith. The resurrection. And the conversion of the Apostle Paul reinforces the authenticity and the reality of the resurrection. I mean, think about what we have here. What else can you say about, a Christ, about Christianity when its most outspoken opponent suddenly claims to have seen the Messiah and starts to believe and proclaim the one he used to persecute? What do you say about that? You know, he's a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission to keep Christianity from spreading. He becomes one of God's tools for spreading Christianity. And we've got all these Pauline epistles that God wrote in Scripture, most of the New Testament, written by this man. I mean, think about this flip. Like, we get excited about flipping houses. God flips people. God flips people. And he, imagine being a person in Jerusalem who knew the old Paul. And it's like, who is this guy? The guy that was, you know, causing ruckus and trying to kill these people, arrest these people. Now he's teaching the same thing. Of course, now they want to kill him. 
Because following Jesus comes with perseverance. It comes with persecution. It comes with discomfort. And so they saw the contrast of the old Paul and the new Paul. And he became a man on a voyage to take life, and now he's on a voyage to give life. And God flipped them. So when you come to Christ, there'll be evidence change. When you come to Christ, there'll be change. The people that do life with you, it's not going to be instant. There's not going to be perfection. But they're going to start to hear different things out of your mouth. They're going to start to see different things in your life. Things that you used to do, you'll stop doing. There's things that you didn't do that you'll start doing. And you know what? They might push and poke and prod and mock, or they might ask a lot of questions. But you know what happens to a lot of the people in your life that see your transformation? They go, nice wings. How can I get a set of those? How can I get those? How can I, how can I have the joy that you have? How can I have the peace that you have? How can I have the purpose that you have in your life? And you say, let me introduce you to the one who transformed me. Because he'd like to transform you too. You think being a caterpillar is fun? <laughs> Wait till you experience flying around like a butterfly, man. It's amazing. There's the new self. There's the new life. You know, the story of Paul's conversion is one of the most dramatic examples of transformation on Christ. It's also a reminder that no one is beyond God's grasp. Amen? God can take the worst of sinners and make them the best of saints. Reminded of something the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone, everyone say anyone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How many of you here are so grateful for your new life in Christ? Man, he's so good to us. He's so good to us. And some of you have yet to experience that. You know, Paul boldly sinned. He was boldly saved, and then he boldly served. And that's God's plan for us as well. You know, this church is full of people who have experienced new life in Christ. Uh, we could tell story after story after story, and every now and then we just get a chance to hear one. So I just want to encourage you today that God is still transforming lives. And so I encourage you just to watch for a few minutes about one of those transformed lives. And let's listen and watch from our brother Josh. I don't really remember how, but somehow we got introduced to my friend, my best friend and I got introduced to drugs. I started using heroin. The heroin just gripped me into addiction. My addiction grew. I was doing any and everything I could to get more drugs. I was hurting my family. I was hurting everybody around me. I went on a crime spree. At that time, my best thinking got me in front of three different judges. So I ended up with a seven-year prison sentence. I ended up going into a prison cell. There was a Gideon's Bible on the bed. I decided that I would cross reading the Bible off the bucket list, read it cover to cover. And I started reading about this guy who is passionate enough to flip tables and calm storms. There was, I, I, I just couldn't explain, there's, there's something to the Word of God that when you read it, it keeps drawing you back. I was released uh, several months early. I believe that was March 19th of 2008, Good Friday. So Easter Sunday morning, my mom asked me if I wanted to go to church with her. I really 
wasn't doing anything but sitting in the house. So she brought me to CBC. We went up, she took me in the balcony. I listened to Pastor Rick Duncan deliver his sermon and everything he is saying coincides exactly with everything I've been holding inside, reading the word. After the message, Pastor Brian Howell led, led worship. Uh, he sang Amazing Grace. I'm mesmerized at this point and the first chorus comes. My chains are gone, I've been set free. And I looked down and literally hours beforehand, I had been in shackles and belly chains and cuffs and that was it. I collapsed, I sobbed, I wept. I had a ton of bricks dropped off of me. In that moment, I was saved. I was freed. I was freed from myself. I was freed from all worldly things. I was reassured. I was strengthened. I was empowered. That day started the first day of the rest of my life. I went on to get married. The good Lord blessed me with such a beautiful wife and family. Uh, I have two wonderful, wonderful stepchildren. The good Lord has blessed me now with uh, a child of my own, and he is just absolutely amazing. Um, I teach him all about Jesus. I see a whole lot of me in him. I've got my work cut out for me to keep him on the path. I'm not shy in the least bit about telling people about Jesus. If you know me and you've talked to me for longer than five minutes, you've heard the name of Jesus because I'm going to heaven and I'm taking as many people with me as possible. I'm not embarrassed by the gospel. I'm led. I'm led daily by the Spirit. I'm still in the Word daily. My work boots are wore out. My word is the same way. It's, it's, I use it to its fullest extent. It speaks to me daily in my readings, wherever I'm at in life. It guides me, gives me direction. I just remain rooted. I, I'm, I've built my foundation on solid rock. Uh, it, it, it can't be moved. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a new life story junkie, man. I just love hearing how good our God is. He's a God that brings new life. Did you hear it? The old self, the conversion, the new life. Someone who is boldly sinning, boldly saved by God, who's now boldly serving the Lord. Once a caterpillar, <laughs> had to go into that cocoon and then emerge, and now he's stretching those wings and flying, man, to the glory of God. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, man, my, my hope today is that you're reminded about how good God is and how good your transformation is. And don't, don't be happy stuck in a cocoon. Man, God's giving you wings. Use them. Make disciples. Grow disciples. Serve the Lord boldly in your life. He saved us so we could serve him. Boldly saved to boldly serve. So who you who you spend time investing in, discipling, and reaching out to. 
And for anyone who doesn't know Christ, man, you're watching this or you're, you're here, God has so much more for you. You know, you know, your sin is more offensive to God than you have any idea. But your love, the, the love for Jesus that he has for you is beyond your imagination. What he has for you is beyond your imagination, but you just need to surrender. Come to that place where you receive him as Savior. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you today for the reminder that you are a God who transforms spiritual metamorphosis available for all, new life in Christ available, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, for those who are believers here, God, I pray that you use today to remind them how good you are and how free they are and that they use their transformation in you to make a difference in this world one life at a time. God, for anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they'd come to a place where they receive you as Savior. And, and that can even be this moment right now. If you don't know the Lord, you can just talk to him. You can just say, God, today I believe. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I need you. I believe I'm lost. <laughs> I believe I'm broken. I believe I'm blind. But today I encounter you. God, find me. Give me sight. Restore me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe rose from the grave so that I could have forgiveness, eternal life, and new life. I turn to you now, Jesus. If you're a believer today, maybe you just need to tell the Lord something like this. Thank you for giving me the reminder today of the new life I have in you. Give me courage to take my next steps of growth, to speak about you boldly, to be baptized, to serve you, to teach others, to endure hardship, and to glorify you with my life. And God, that's our heart, that we would all glorify you with our lives, that we take these gifts you've given us and just offer them back to you. God, even take these gifts we're about to receive. Thank you for the faithful prayers, the faithful serving, the faithful giving here at CVC that are making a difference like Josh. Lord, thank you. God, we give these gifts back to you as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen.